I've asked other people on the show about this voice in your head. And I said, you know, we all have this little demon. I've used these words like a little demon in your head and you talk about it. So maybe you can like, what, what is that thing? You know, what, what, what is that that you, that you had, that you experienced, that you write so beautifully about here? You're listening to Over the Wall, where we bring you in-depth conversations with some of today's greatest visionaries to help you master the mental game of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Rob Lucasio. Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to a very special edition of Over the Wall. You might have noticed that in most of the interviews I've done, I'll ask my guests the same question. What does the little voice in your head tell you? You know, the voice that makes you doubt yourself or second-guess yourself. I like to call it the gremlin in the head. Well, we've taken each time that question has been asked and compiled some of the answers here for you. Presented back-to-back, I thought it was fascinating to see how much we really all have in common at the end of the day, no matter our experience, age, industry, or whatever. Here it is. Hope you enjoyed the special edition and episode of Over the Wall. And keep walking. I'll ask you a question about, do you have a voice in your head that that torments you sometimes? It de- You know, it depends. I would say, I, I think the strongest voice that I have in my head um, uh, is that, like, I don't, it's, you're not good enough, right? Like, you're not good enough um, and that other people are better. Uh, and I think that's, that's in part kind of like the competitive spirit in me. Um, and it probably pings from some sort of envy or jealousy. I, you know, I have, and I work on that. That's, you know, I, I understand. Um, but I think that's the voice in my head. I think that's, you're not good enough. You think the other voice, you're just not good enough. You're not good enough to be here. Not good enough to be who you are. Yeah. I'm not good enough to do a deal like that. I'm not, I'm not good enough to get that building. I'm not good enough to get that client. Like, who do I think I am? I'm not from New York. I was born in Texas, grew up outside Boston. I came here. I didn't have a suit. Like, what am I even doing here? Um, just not good enough. And so I fight back against that every day um, uh, and try to change the perception that the party of voices in my head has has of me. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the uh, honesty because, you know, a lot of people out there, entrepreneurs, they, they've got this voice. And I, I always think we always think that we're abnormal. I think we all think like, oh, my, oh God, I got this voice in my head or I'm failing or this happened in my life and you think, and you feel alone with it. Yeah. But I think if, I think if people hear like somebody like you is very successful, put you put that yourself out there in life, you're out there publicly in, on the media side, obviously in TV and stuff, but to have in your head, I'm not, I'm not good enough. That's kind of, you know, people, yeah. wouldn't, people wouldn't think that if they, they looked at you and yeah. see your public persona. I didn't think that. Well, thanks. <laughs> so, so you're right here. I was absolutely terrorized by the intensity of that inner demon threatening condemnation for weakness. I can never reconcile the two living, breathing beings coexisting inside the sweet, innocent child who simply wished to be kind, honest, and live happily on her own terms, and the evil, ruthless tyrant determined to take advantage of that gentle, considerate being by forcing it to suffer. And so I've, I've, I've asked other people on the show about this voice in your head. And I said, you know, we all have this little demon. I've used these words like a little demon in your head and you talk about it. 
So maybe you can like, what, what is that thing? You know, what, what, what is that, that you, that you had, that you experienced that you write so beautifully about here? I mean, my demon was telling me from the moment I can recollect, which was, I believe like two, that life wasn't worth living. It was all going to absolutely be futile in the end. And I should end my life because it was meaningless and nothing I could do could make meaning in a meaningless existence. And basically my entire life was a battle between my head and my heart because my heart just wanted to be free. My heart just wanted to create, my heart wanted to be in that boundless expanse of imagination, which was like utter euphoria. But my head didn't want that. My head wanted to take me down and my head wanted me to end my life. I mean, literally was like, end it now. And it was so relentless and continual that the only way I could try to quell it was to engage in what I call the feudal race, which was constant, incessant motion and activity and achievement and wanting more so that I could somehow drown out the, the drumbeat of my own mortality. So how do you reconcile all of that and, and running a company? Because you, you're now you're running a company. You, when do you become self-aware? At what time do you like the uh, somewhere? I think you're around 50 or something. You become self-aware of this whole demon this whole thing, but you were running a company for many years up until, how do you run a company, even make it work? Cause you gotta have, you have employees, you got stuff going on. It's not just, you're not just creating product and it gets thrown out in the world. You're actually gotta bring it to market. How did you, how'd you, how'd you do it? It's an awesome question. And I was probably honestly the highest achieving, deeply existentially depressed person on the planet. Because in reality, my coping mechanism was very conducive to running a company and taking on more and more and more because my coping mechanism, because I was not ever gonna, going to be accepted as who I was, right? I couldn't show anyone that I had these dark thoughts because when I let it out even a little bit, I saw the look on people's face, faces and it was like the exorcist. It was like utter horror. Like how could a person your age be asking those questions? Who cares? It's gonna be fine. What are you worrying about? Like enjoy yourself, you loosen up, stop being so overly dramatic. I mean, that's all I ever heard. Like, like you're, you're, you're whacked, Melissa. Like, like get a grip, honey, just enjoy yourself. So you're told very early on that this overly sensitive person you are isn't, isn't acceptable, isn't good enough. And I needed to be validated. So I anchored to really two things. I anchored to perfectionism and high achievement. I mean, high achievement, doing as much as I could to get those shiny gold stars and serving and pleasing others. Martyrdom and perfectionism became basically my coping mechanism. And I rode those into middle age. So the busier I was, ironically, the more people threw at me, the more I had going on, it actually quieted my, my head that was telling me to end my life. And for those 25, 30 years of having six children, you know, every weekend was like 15 sporting events in four different states, 10 birthday parties, events for Melissa and Doug. Um, I was like, bring it on because honestly, it actually was probably the reason I'm still here because I wasn't able to think. I just had to like do. 
Does that make sense? It sounds really yeah. So Tim, th we had we have we had Tim's story on here. He's like a motivational guy. You know, he works with Oprah's coach and all. Yeah. And he, and he met, said this thing from from like savior to soaring. And I don't know if that kind of defines what you're saying. Like you have to on this side, you're saving people and helping people. And on this side, you're trying to be a high achiever at all times. And you're trying to reconcile these type of things. But I would think it's a pretty up and down ride for you. No. Or is it like just up, up, up? Because no. I mean, no. if you're, you're going back from soaring and saving and soaring and saving, it could be a little bit up and like way up and down. You know, I denied, repressed, and disassociated from everything I felt to such an extent and controlled everything I could in my life to function that I didn't even allow any feeling. I truly, I'm, I'm so internally strong. Like I am, and, and my, my battle cry was bring it on, throw it on me. I'll fight through it no matter how tough it gets. And I was kind of like, this is my, my, my salvation will come in the suffering I'm going through now in just making it all work. And I really didn't slow down and begin to put the pieces together until the exhaustion, you know, when you deny everything you are and repress everything you feel, uh, you can do that in your 20s and your 30s and kind of the beginning of your 40s. But I started to sense something was very wrong in my being. And I believe, you know, it was the cry of my soul to be seen authentically because, you know, in a sense, I was living authentically because I was channeling the despair into creativity and putting a piece of myself in every toy. But I wasn't accepting. I had never accepted who I was. And I started to see that the toys were in a way an even bigger facade than I had created my whole life because I was hiding behind these shiny, bright, beautiful toys. And the person that created them was dark and despairing and had channeled so much futility and, you know, uh, questioning meaning into them. And I, I didn't want to live behind that facade any longer. So how do you, how do you come out? Like, I'll ask you one thing. Did you get put on medication? And were you like, I assume you went, you, you had to go see a therapist. I mean, I assume it wasn't like this. This is we, the name of the show is Over the Wall. This is a, this I assume is a big wall. This is like a life wall. This is probably yes. one of the biggest walls I've heard of. There's product challenges and go to, but I'm talking about this is, this is existential, as you said. This is, this is what this is. So, how did you, what happened to, what was the crossover? Yeah. So, you recognized something. But did you just like, oh, I'm fine now. I'm, I'm aware. Nope. <laughs> of course not. It can't be that easy. And by oh, the way. Maybe God arrived. Know. I don't know. Maybe you had to, some people have an epiphany. Something happens, you know. Yeah. But I'm saying like, what, what was your story? What happened? It was a couple dots that connected by sheer coincidence. Because otherwise I'd still be in inauthentic living and not have ever gone into the abyss. Which, by the way, I did. Um, so... You know, the first dot really came in rereading a book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, great book. By the way, great book for entrepreneurs. This is like, this is, this is a must read too. So, but that's another topic. Go ahead. Yep. Well, and the crazy thing, and it's very similar to product creation. I had read this book in my 20s and it didn't speak to me. And I created products 
20 years prior and they didn't resonate and then reintroduce them 20 years later and they were like our hottest products ever. So it's the same thing, you know, when you're ready for something, like it speaks to you. So I had heard about it on a podcast I listened to and I decided to reread it and two words in that book changed my life. Like that was it. Uh, Victor Frankl talked about logotherapy, a form of existential analysis. So here I am, you know, a writer my whole life, never heard the word logotherapy, never heard the word existential. And when I read about existential despair and, and angst, I realize, oh my gosh, this is actually me and what I have been afflicted with my entire life. And that started the ball rolling into for the first time seeing myself. So I believed every quality that made me who I was, was a curse, right? Because living in this world was so challenging being hypersensitive um, and being told all the time, you're too this, you're too that, when I'm like, this is who I am. Um, and this was the first time when I saw that existentially depressed people tend to be highly creative and have these things called overexcitabilities, which make their intensity to life experience much more acute than others. I saw, I, I couldn't even believe it. I said, wait, is it possible that the things I tried to kill in myself my entire life are actually a blessing? And I have a blurse, a blessing and a curse? Like, and that the ability to create from nothing, which I thought was just something I did, um, is actually because of these highly stigmatizing qualities. And it was, I, I never cried because I never felt emotion. I was truly that disassociated from feeling. I cried for about a week straight after I saw that I wasn't alone. And I actually had something that maybe was like my secret special superpower and the reason I was here on earth. It was unfathomable. So you're saying, was it, so you're saying by reading the Frankel book, that I kind read of the Frankel book and then further reading, cause I'm a, I'm a, oh, I love knowledge. And like, yeah. once I, once I, I find something like a little, a little shred, you know, a little glimmer of light, I'm following that glimmer of light, like wherever it takes me. And that unraveled many other books. And ultimately that's what made me say, you know what? I've been futilely racing outside myself. I am so darn exhausted. Uh, I'm I'm more exhausted than I've ever been, and no closer to filling that inner inner void. I'm gonna finally have to do it. I'm going to have to plunge into the abyss. And I wrote a verse like that day. I wrote, "The only way we'll ever find contentment or true bliss is to say it's now or never and jump into the abyss." And I basically yeah. wrote that and jumped. And I think a lot of people, a lot of CEOs, especially I think female CEOs sometimes get into trouble because they don't put the, you know, they don't do that or their board doesn't help them figure that out. And so, and, and that's, I think becomes a detriment later on. Why do you think it's female CEO? Like you just said, you know, you were like, what, what do, why do you think? Because I think that we have very different expectations. You know, I think oftentimes like I, I early on, like, am I your mother? Am I your best friend? And like, who am I to you? Who do you want me to be to you, right? And so we have a lot of feelings about 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 women leaders, and I I think that 
women do, men do, society does. And so we're, we're held to a very different bar and a very different standard. And you kind of need someone who's been through that to coach you through it. Um, what to- standard? So what do you think that bar and standard is? So you're saying, so what do you think? What, if you define that, what, what do you think that is? Look, I think, I think I joke. I mean, like my husband, who's, you know, a serial entrepreneur, it's like, he think he'll go, you know, order drinks and play beer pong, right. With his employees. I, I don't think they, I don't do that. Gotcha. You know? And so it's, it's also like, I think for a lots of times as women, because we've been socialized to be perfect and we want people to like us, we often don't make hard decisions. We don't fail. We don't, we don't, we don't, um, we don't fire quickly enough or we don't tell the honest truth about feedback because we don't want to hurt your feelings. And that becomes a detriment, you know what I mean, later on. So in some ways, creating a little bit of separation sometimes is important. So how did you train yourself? Because I think this is great for women entrepreneurs, women CEOs that are out there. You had to train, you, had to, you really have to train your mindset to be very different than what you're saying is by nature. Yes. Is what the mindset would be. So what did you, I mean, was it just through, I guess, coming up into situations and seeing it's not working for you, you start to rework your brain. And if you could give people like women four or five, these are things that we do normally that I would do, that I did differently, or I learned to do differently and it served me to be where I am today. What would those be? Well, I think that I would say the first thing is, is I, 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 I put, I put a team of peers around me that I could actually have be my sounding board and sometimes be really myself around. So I'm intense. I have really high expectations. I work harder than probably anybody you've ever met. And I expect that. And, you know, I grew up with, you know, my Asian parents, you know, when, my, when I lost my first election, my dad sent me like a message of the top 10 things I did wrong. So it is not my nature to like pat you on the back and be like, great job, right? Like for doing your job. Yeah. But I've learned as I've evolved that, that people need that. Yeah, you know, especially junior staff. And so, you know, I think one is recognizing who on your team are your peers and you can actually be you around. And then who do you have on your team that is actually the person who can do some of that, you know, some of that maneuvering or massaging, you know, that you need to do to like build a team and build a culture. And I think that that is very, very, very clear and very honest. I think secondly, it's like, I also learned how to, how to basically fire people quickly and fast. Jack really taught me that, you know, as, as I learned from him and we talked about what's the biggest lesson that you had. And I think sometimes our, again, our nature, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right. people on, and then we give them another chance and then another chance and then another chance. And we already knew what we knew in month one. And you know the thing that I also learned it's not just about like if I'm if life is about finding your purpose and building the thing that's going to say well what did God put me on this earth to do you want that person to find that too and so if you already know that that's not their purpose don't keep them there right like, break up and let them find the thing that they're meant to do too and I think that that was something that I had to learn. Mm-hmm.